welcome to season three of the Chai Break podcast. We're excited to engage in more inspiring chaiversations around our cross-cultural experiences. This season, we're diving deep into an often gray area and a taboo in our culture, mental health and well-being. So join us on our mission to break the barriers and get comfortable in those often uncomfortable spaces. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode three of the Chai Break podcast, coming to you from New York City, Ohio and Mumbai, India. Today, we have with us our very first guest of the season to further our conversation and get her expert opinion on normalizing therapy, breaking down what some of the most common words in the world of mental health mean and so much more. Rama, do you want to introduce our amazing guest today? For sure, for sure. Um, so here is lovely Karina Mehta. Karina Mehta is a mental health professional with a BA in psychology from Bryn Mawr College and further education from Teachers College, Columbia, here in New York City, where she earned an M in mental health counseling and an MA in psychological counseling. Karina works with clients ranging from 12 to 63 years old, addressing various mental health issues, including anxiety, mood disorders, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and personality disorders. Uh, furthermore, Karina has extensive experience working with individuals who have faced the profound effects of sexual trafficking, domestic violence, and child abuse. Uh, we should talk a lot more about that. Assisting these survivors in their healing journey has been both humbling and rewarding, is what she says. She currently practices from Mumbai. Um, she continues her work as the founder of Care Counseling, offering trauma-informed therapy to clients globally. So welcome, Karina. It's such a privilege to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much. I look forward to speaking with both of you and I'm happy to be here today. Yeah, that's quite an impressive body of work. So Absolutely. yeah, we thank you so much again for graciously accepting our invitation to have this chivization. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So before we dive in, you know, to the meat of the episode, share with us your early career trajectory and what really attracted you to the world of mental health and taking this on. So honestly, initially, when I was 13 years old, I watched this film called Short Term 12. And it was essentially a film about a group home and people with mental illnesses living in it. And the support that they got and just all of it just looked so fulfilling. And I felt like I learned a lot about mental health through that film. I think later on, I decided to do my bachelor's and I wanted to do my bachelor's in film studies and psychology with the hope to become a director that would um, make films to raise awareness about mental health. Um, I think I realized that I wasn't exactly interested in only the story of like the plot or like creating the film. I was more so excited about the plot of each character, the context behind each character, mm -hmm. why each character was feeling the way that they were feeling. And yeah, and I think that's when I realized that I want to make a direct impact. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I think that led me to do my master's, um, work with different organizations, whether it be in a hospital setting, in 
inpatient settings and outpatient settings in private practice. And yeah, and now I'm here as the founder of Care Counseling, where I offer psychotherapy services across the globe. That's wonderful, um, yeah. Karina. It's so interesting. You said short term twelve. I've never, I've not watched that movie, but it's um, it's something that is I'm going to add to my list because it's um, it's interesting and very inspiring to hear someone who at that young age, you said twelve years old, right? Thirteen. Able yeah. to watch a movie and kind of grasp the concepts of mental health illness from a movie and kind of make that their. Uh, career aspiration and want to go ahead in that line. But there must have been some kind of, uh, you know, uh, were, were you exposed to mental health issues when you were, when you were a child? Was there something that was like a calling for you? Was there some side of you that wanted to, was drawn towards these issues even prior that you just didn't acknowledge until you just watched the movie? Honestly, I had never spoken about mental health until I watched that movie. Um, I feel like in India, there's so much stigma around it. Um, And I was always in a community where mental health was always tabooed upon any conversations to do with it. And I found that very jarring because every individual has gone through at least like a mental health issue. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be a mental illness, but it Mm -hmm. could be a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. Feeling anxious, feeling... Mm -hmm feeling low. It doesn't even have to be depression, but like actually discussing it. I think I realized that like talking about it really like made me feel like I am more connected to individuals and I'm more connected with myself in some ways. Yeah. um, I almost, because, you know, when you say mental health issues, I think we were talking to somebody else in our last season and she was saying a lot of the taboo or the stigma or the hesitation within the South Asian space comes from a lot of these big words that are used, you know, and people really don't know what to make of it. And it's almost seen as a negative emotion, you know, like anxiety and depression and all of that is seen as something negative. Like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're fine. You know, you have everything. Like, why are you feeling this way? You know, it's kind of belittled in that sense. And um, like you said, we go through this life as a human being and we experience a whole range of emotions and here we're just kind of you know with mental health with therapy you're kind of just creating a safe space to express those emotions correct exactly and just getting support in a more objective way in a way where no one has any biases there's complete unconditional positive regard for the client there's Mm -hmm. empathy and there's an actual like willingness to actually introspect Mm-hmm. And learn more about like your motives, your values, your feelings, your triggers. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly really sad that even when we we call each other, like I call myself a psychotherapist. Using that term, individuals think that they think that it's a therapist for like for people that are crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we, me and Rama have talked about, you know, the word mental in India, like, you know, this, it's a slang, exactly. you know, it's, it's a slang. And, and I think that's where things need to change, you know, so true. Um, Before that, let's, let's kind of dive back a little bit um, into your trajectory as well. Like, so you, if I remember right, you kind of were raised in a close-knit family. Is that right? Yeah. So I was really- in Belgium and born and raised there for the first eight years of my life 
I yeah. live in a very close-knit family with all of my extended family together. Um, I'm one of 13 grandchildren to my grandparents. Wow. Um, nice. And we grew up as if we were all siblings. Yeah. Um, we grew up as if we were all siblings, but all my aunts and uncles, it felt like they were sets of parents to me as well. So it felt like I had 13 siblings, four sets of parents, and like two sets of grandparents. So I always felt very supported, but I also felt like I had to prove myself. Mm-hmm. And it's I think like double, the expectation level is doubled, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of led me to delve into the mental health space of kind of understanding why I am the way I am, why mm-hmm. I react to certain things, why I respond to certain things, what things actually trigger me. And like actually going into like my early childhood experiences and talking about them and reflecting upon them. So I think that was one of the biggest reasons that I decided to become a therapist. Because wow. for me worked really well. And I've been with the same therapist for what like four years now four five years now um so it's been incredible wow that's wonderful we're going to talk about your uh experience with therapy as well that's something we should touch upon at some point which is interesting yeah What is very interesting to me is, you know, you came here, you completed your double master's degree here in New York, and you decided to move back to India. What was that one or multiple, you know, that big deciding factor for you? And what? why do you think, what was the need to move back? I think in the US, the mental health space is just a lot more developed than it is in India. Mm. In India, even working as a therapist right now, it's just so new. And there's so much stigma around it. I think just going back to that. Um, but in addition to all of that, I was doing a lot of research in my last year in the US. And I found that there are only 3,372 registered clinical psychologists and about 9,000 psychiatrists in India. Wow. Now, India's population is 1.3 billion. Mm-hmm. So having like 0.75 psychiatrists per 100,000 people does not work. Yeah, the proportions Um, are so off. Yeah, it's pretty staggering. Exactly. Whereas in places where it's more developed, there are at least three psychiatrists per 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. So I think I wanted to be part of the change in India. I wanted to be part of normalizing mental health in India. I Mm -hmm. wanted to be Mm -hmm. part of actually bringing my my learnings and expertise from the US, my training from the US, and bringing it here in a manner that's more like trained, it's ethical. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that I found were lacking mm. in the mental health space in India. Um, I've had people that claim to be therapists without any master's degree, without any education, with just mm. a few months of training through certificate programs and I think just knowing that I am just being a qualified therapist in India it's a lot more rare than we think it is Mm. and I wanted to kind of be part of that change Mm. and 
that's so amazing that you quoted these statistics about, and it's not surprising to see that kind of lack of the number of psychiatrists or psychotherapists for the population, because it is still an area that is not normalized, right? Which is what my next question is all about. Can you talk to us about how far we've really come in normalizing therapy, both in India and, you know, the diaspora space here in the U.S.? Because I think your previous answer kind of alludes to that, that there is still that lack of mental health help in India. And probably that is because there is this taboo and there's a lot of, uh, you know, negativity towards therapy. Is that a good inference to draw? Um, I definitely think that there's still a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like Gen Z is a lot more accepting of therapy or like any therapeutic counseling service compared mm. to any other generation. Um, even in terms of clients coming to me, clients that are like in the Gen Z age group, it seems like they are a lot more willing and they personally would come to me. Whereas they'd always talk about like how their parents don't know that they do therapy Mm. or it's still stigmatized in their household, Mm. but they are very pro-therapy. And then even like during therapy, it's like having conversations with your parents about mental health. And that's something that like in Indian communities, it's such a collectivistic community. Mm -hmm. Most individuals live with their parents, Mm -hmm. even at like the age of 30 or like Mm -hmm. even later. And that's normal in some sense. Yes. But the amount that we actually discuss, it seems like everyone knows each other at a surface level space. No one really is talking about how each individual is actually doing. Mm -hmm. And feeling, yeah. 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 And I think that's the change that we need to bring on. Mm. I think a response I keep getting from parents that I speak to is, yeah, but instead of seeing a therapist, they can just speak to their family. Mm. And yeah, I think that's where the problem is. It's not the same. It's not the same. (laughs) I think there is a point there, right? I mean, you know, if if there's openness, if there is a close, you know, certain kind of uh, free thinking or open to ideas and views, I think that definitely helps the family setup is, it fosters such uh, open conversation definitely helps. But I think therapy also adds to that in the sense that it just helps bring out those conversations, how to bring out the conversations to the family, how to make these communications better. I think therapy kind of adds to that. But I do agree. I think, um, you know, I have a 14-year-old and I, you know, she's been to therapy uh, a few times for various issues. And But there is a part of me that also wants her to to strike an open communication with me. It's like, and we can kind of, you know, in, in addition to the therapist, how can I help you as your mother? So I think that's a fair way of looking at it. Yeah. What do you guys think? I think it depends on the family setup, right? right? You know, because ultimately when I'm talking to my therapist, I just know that she's coming from a completely non-judgmental, neutral standpoint. Right. Whereas when I'm talking to my parents at any level, you know, first of all, the the relationship between the child and the parent has to be so open. Right. And this just does not get developed overnight. You know, like, oh, today you're having mental health issues. You want to talk to a therapist. Why don't you just talk to me? It takes years of building that relationship. Yeah. And if you've already built that relationship, I don't even think at some level that 
you know, the child would feel the need to go out and talk unless it's a more serious mental health issue, you know. Um, so I feel like it's very, very situational. I mean, when you were talking about, you know, uh, kids, you know, going to therapy and their parents not knowing about it, I'm one of them, <laughs> you know, like uh, I, you know, I was telling you this time when I went back home to India, I think it was the very first time ever that I had a heart to heart conversation with my dad and I told him. That, you know, yes, I'm, you know, taking, seeking professional help. I'm seeking therapy. And to my absolute surprise, he was like, oh, that, that's, I'm so happy you're doing that. Exactly. Exactly. But the same thing. I, I don't think I can tell my mother this. Mm. She would react in a completely different way. And I think to, you know, to my, uh, not to discredit my mother, but to the credit of my father, he works in a sports uh, academy. And, uh, you know, there is someone there who is a therapist, who's a counselor. So he has that exposure and understanding. So I think it came, you know, he took it better. And uh, like you said, you know, if I tell my mother, she's like, why don't you just talk to me? You know, I, I can see that happening. I think that's the thing. I completely agree. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm. And therapy doesn't work for everyone. Mm. Um, I think that's another thing. Like, it doesn't work for everyone, but I think sensitizing parents to have open conversations regarding mental health rather than using, like replacing a therapist for a parent. Mm, yeah. I think mm. that's the conversation we need to be having. Exactly. I think children get scared to talk to their parents yes. about therapy or about any mental health issue because parents end up personalizing it. Yes. Right. And there's guilt factor, right? Oh, it's all my fault. Oh my gosh, what have I done? It's because of me. Exactly. And in some ways that might trigger reactions right. in that conversation, right. which will push the child away even further from having these types of conversations. So I think it's more about like sensitizing parents about how do you have a conversation in a non-judgmental way? How do you stay open to even understanding why your child is feeling this way? Talking about like, okay, like, how was therapy for you? Like, did you learn anything? Do you feel comfortable sharing with me? If not, I completely understand. But if there's anything you want to share, I'm here for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, I still, as we're talking, I'm remembering this movie, Isn't the Geek? Oh, yeah. Um, that, you know, where Ali Abad and Shah Rukh Khan, right? They have, they forged that beautiful yes, relationship yes, yes, yes. where he's a therapist. And I think that's one of the movies that actually, created the sense of awareness of therapy and you were talking about how Gen Z's are very more open to it. And I think that's the culture we're seeing. That kind mm -hmm. of um, depiction was pretty realistic for modern India now, mm -hmm. where we're seeing more and more of those, um, you know, therapist and patient client conversations happening and ultimately how it seeps into the family and how, you know, in the sense the therapist helps the client communicate better with their own family mm -hmm. because previously it was always really you know reacting to triggers yeah so that's where I was coming from where probably the you know the family and the therapist sessions kind of go in in concert so the therapist actually provides that ability for the client to have a better communication mm -hmm. with their other relationships personal relationships that is true. so um and maybe over time that just spreads and there is this openness that just creates i thought that was a fabulous movie it's one of my top favorites yeah 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 because i feel like like you said it goes hand in hand you know if your parents if your family knows you're going through therapy then you know because 
it's a journey it's a process right overnight nothing changes so say you're reacting to a trigger you know your family because they know that you're going through therapy maybe they give you more grace they're more kinder you know mm-hmm. they maybe just like give you a gentle reminder that hey you know this is a pattern remember and you know so i feel like it's it's not as individualistic like for therapy to truly work it takes the therapist but it also takes the family working in conjunction correct. you know otherwise to understand what this person is going through yeah correct i think that's the ultimate goal for the client to have better communication through therapy mm-hmm. to become a little bit less reactive and less triggered and have more open meaningful conversations and i think that's the result one wants to see yeah totally totally So based on your, you know, cross-cultural lived experience because you've lived abroad, you've studied abroad, you moved back to India, what are the some of the mental health challenges you see in India versus here in the US and how different or how similar are they? You know, it's really interesting cuz I I think I'm going to say this from a therapist perspective mm-hmm. and the other individuals perspective. Mm-hmm. I think being a therapist in India versus being a therapist in the US is drastically different. Mm-hmm. Um I think in terms of like just everything whether it be even like mental health, mental illness diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Diagnosis is something that people are like ashamed of over here people don't want to be diagnosed and if you mention a diagnosis it seems like over here a lot of people or a lot of clients end up feeling targeted right whereas in the us it felt like a lot more people felt comfort from a diagnosis mm-hmm. knowing that oh at least there's a reason for it mm-hmm. and that's been an interesting pattern that i saw over here um an additional factor is that Over here I think the boundaries setting boundaries is a lot tougher as a therapist. Mm-hmm. In India it seems like a client sees a therapist as a 24/7 friend. Um which is not exactly <laughs> what therapy is about. <laughs> right. Because at the end of the day the clients know nothing about their therapist. It's a one-sided friendship yeah. if that's what they see it as. Yeah, yeah. And I think just constantly getting like emails or texts from your clients mm-hmm. about issues mm-hmm. and them wanting solutions it mm-hmm. seems like in india it's like fix me right right therapy is about fixing someone right. therapy is about a process yes and a therapist cannot fix you you ought to do the work yeah the therapist will guide you yeah but you have to be willing to actually do the work put in the work yeah i think that's the difference because In the US it's very black and white what you're allowed to do what you're not allowed to do. Mm-hmm. In India it seems like therapy is still in that gray area of mm. still figuring out what like if you actually care about me why why wouldn't you reply to mm. emails or my texts in between sessions. Mm. If you actually care about me why am I paying you? Mm. Like these are random like questions that I've actually heard from clients. Wow. Yeah, which wow. is interesting. Wow. I can totally see that happening actually mm-hmm. where you're not able to draw that that boundary or the yeah. line between a therapist yeah. and a client and 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 that's the thing right still it's a growing field in India and therapy is all about 
therapist trying to help the client figure out solutions for themselves versus trying to provide solutions. Exactly. And uh, that's what people are not able to see, I think. But having said that, I have a quick question. I still feel that even in the U.S., we're still not there yet because even talking about therapy in the U.S., I don't, I've not heard people openly talk about therapy in the sense of, hey, I'm going to therapy, like as if it's normalizing. I think Mm. India is way behind, but I think U.S. is not, completely normalized therapy either. Is there a few words you can say about that? I completely agree with that. I feel like on the scale, it's like neither at 100% yet. Like both the US and India, I feel like worldwide, we are trying to get there. Mm -hmm. However, I feel like there's a lot of resistance as well um, to the extent that while therapy is trying to become normalized in the US and it's far more normalized than in India, even though it's not completely normalized. Mm-hmm. Talking about mental health, it seems like individuals have in some ways been like, oh, like talking about mental health has become a fad. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like if you say that you have a mental illness, it's because you're trying to get attention for you. Mm. And it seems like this entire idea of like, Something becoming a fad when you're trying to normalize it. Yes. I think that's, Ooh, that's very interesting. Now. Don't think I'd, yeah, I don't think I thought about it that way. But yes, I can see that happening. I mean, also, right, when, when we're talking about this, you know, India versus the US and the diaspora here, do you see clients, your clients, when they come to you, like being like, hey, this is why I'm coming to you for therapy because of this? Are they sure? Like on a spectrum or on a range, like, you know, when they come to you, is it like, is it always a life changing experience? You know, because I feel like in the US, from what I have talked to folks, you know, I've heard for years and years, oh, yeah, I'm going to therapy. And I would, I remember like as a newly moved immigrant here, I'd be like, oh, something's wrong with them. Like that in my mind, my mind's, you know, <laughs> language is speaking that and saying, oh, something must be wrong with them. So I want to know as a professional people coming to you from all these different backgrounds and cultures and, you know, countries, like, is there a norm? Is like, is there a difference? I have clients that literally come to me for therapy just for like, whether it be homesickness or Mm. like just wanting someone to talk to because they can't, they feel like they can't talk to anyone. Mm. I think the fear of being judged, Mm. it's not always a mental illness that has to bring you to therapy. It Mm. doesn't have to be that drastic in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the thing is that individuals understand a lot of the traumas that they faced and label it trauma Mm. only after they've done the inner work and have like actually spoken about it in therapy. Mm -hmm. You don't realize the traumatic experiences you've had in your childhood if you don't actually speak to someone non-judgmental about it. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. That no, that uh, resonates so deeply. Yeah. Right. So I just want to jump to a few more questions we have. Mm-hmm. So um, can you talk about your unique approach and philosophy, Karida, when it comes to therapy and how much of it is based on your cross-cultural experience? So I think a lot of it is based on my cross-cultural experience. Um, I was born in Belgium and I lived there until I was eight. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to India and was there till I was 18. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so technically half my life was in Belgium, half of it was in India. Then I moved to the US and was just in the US for like multiple years. And now I'm back in India. But it's really strange. I felt more Indian in Belgium than I felt in India. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I think it was partly because of the community in Belgium. I was in Antwerp, which is like a Gujarati Palankuri community. And everyone I was surrounded by was of the same like ethnicity, the same like literally everyone was Palankuri, Gujarati from like the same industry. Wow. It was just, there were a lot more like responsibility, cultural responsibilities in Antwerp for me. Very true. Um, When I moved to India, I went to the American School of Bombay. Now, that was a completely different experience where I was surrounded by people of all, like, ethnicities, um, people from all over the world. And I think that's when I was first exposed to the Western culture. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, and I think It's like the expat experience almost, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what, in a way, has shaped how I approach therapy. I am a culturally competent therapist because each time I talk to my clients, I don't assume whether, like if they tell me from the intake form, if they tell me I'm South Asian, um, I grew up in this like setting and um, this is what my family does and this is how I'm feeling. I will never just be like, okay, you must be feeling this because of this part of your cultural expectation, Mm. I will first ask the client about their culture. Mm. I'll give a little bit of an understanding of their culture. Because even for me, just like the very fact that I felt like I had a lot more in cultural expectation, cultural responsibilities in Belgium than I did in India. I think for me, that was in a way a shock for me. Mm -hmm. Understanding that it's so much deeper than just where you come from. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think there's that entire part of it. And then just in terms of the modalities I follow. So I follow the psychodynamic modality for the most part, um, which talks about an individual's childhood and its effects on their like present behavior and their thoughts and their feelings and kind of creating connections, creating patterns, creating themes between the two. Um, moreover, talking about the unconscious feelings that individuals have, whether it comes up in dreams, whether it comes up in triggers, they end up reacting a lot more, not knowing what actually is triggering them mm-hmm. and understanding what those unconscious feelings are. Mm. After doing all of that, I use more like behavioral therapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavior therapy, where I will provide the clients with skills whether it be interpersonal effectiveness skills like Dear Man, which is a way that a client can approach a conversation with a partner or anyone else in a securely attached manner. Mm-hmm. So it's I will provide them skills like cognitive restructuring or just like things like that where I will understand your childhood. I will understand your cultural context mm. and I will be trauma informed mm. and understand that certain things can come from a place of trauma mm. and then provide skills once we've actually like dealt with and understood what the situation is and where it's coming from. It's so interesting. And I, and I like how it covers the whole 360 
of understanding the whole person versus, you know, just that one thing that this person is coming to talk to you about right. or one situation. Yeah. So, so when seeking professional help, especially for someone who's new, who's newly seeking therapy, the words, you know, psychologist, psychotherapist, psychiatrist can oftentimes be kind of muddled and confusing. So can you just break it down for us? Yeah. So I think, especially in India as well, I feel like there's so much controversy around this. But okay, so a psychiatrist is an individual that has done their medical training. They've completed medical school and they are able to prescribe medication. A psychiatrist can be a therapist as well, or they typically work with therapists. Now, a therapist can be a psychologist or a counseling psychologist, which is a mental health counselor. So a psychologist is an individual that has done a PhD. Mm -hmm. A counseling psychologist or a mental health counselor is an individual that has master's degrees in, yeah, in counseling. Now, this varies in India where there's a difference between just like being a therapist. So you are either a clinical psychologist or a counseling psychologist. In India, a clinical psychologist means that you have a master's of arts in clinical psychology and a master's of philosophy in clinical psychology. Mm -hmm. And then you have to do the RTI exam to become a registered clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. To be a counseling psychologist, you need two masters in the counseling field and that makes you a counseling psychologist. So I hope that breaks it down. Yeah, but like, how do you know which one to go to? Like, you know, I feel like at the very basic level, like if I'm seeking therapy, like how do I know what I want? Who should I go to? Like, what is like the base? And then if I need like, you know, a prescription, then I know like, okay, this person can refer me to a psychiatrist now based on what you told us. I think first you need to go to a therapist, whether it be a psychologist or a counseling psychologist or a mental health counselor. Um, You need to ask the therapist, what approach do they use? Mm. What degrees do they have? Even how many years of experience do they have? Ask them what types of mental illnesses do they actually work with? Like, what do they specialize in? Okay. And understanding whether you are a good fit for the therapist. I feel like in some ways, even like finding a good therapist is in a way like dating. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> you're really trying to find someone that you can have a good rapport with. Yes, a good match. Exactly. And every therapist, if they think that you are in need of medication, then they will refer you to a psychiatrist. Okay. So most therapists work with psychiatrists and it works best in conjunction. That's, um, that's awesome. I think that's that's very clear. And yeah. and I want to get to this question, which I said I'll kind of come yeah. back <laughs> towards the end, is you said in, in, in the start of the discussion that you had a therapist over the last four years or so. And it's kind of obvious why, but also it's not something we even think about a therapist having a therapist. Um, I find that very impressive because I did, I recently did a coach certification. And before that, when I was doing my, the year business thing at Columbia, I had leaders in the industry come and give us talks and lectures. And most of them said this, that they have coaches. They are CEOs of companies. They have coaches. So it kind of makes sense that you also have a therapist, but I want you to expand a little bit because it is, it makes sense 
But at the same time, it's not something we hear of that commonly. So a therapist's typical caseload is around 25 to 30 clients per week, which is around five to seven clients per day. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an hour, like a clinical hour, which is 45 minutes to 55 minutes of just listening, of mm. having someone completely pour out their raw feelings, pour out their raw emotions. Um, then we get like a five to 15 minute break and we yeah. jump to the next person. And kind of you're also kind of preparing in between those two, exactly. th- that time frame, I would assume, right? Exactly. Kind of be like, oh, what did we last talk about with this client? Like, yeah. And we have all of our progress notes, our process notes per client. Um, <laughs> so we kind of have to like all of that in the five to 15 minute space that we have between clients. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I think to avoid feeling like compassion fatigue, that's something that therapists typically feel a lot of. Mm -hmm. Um, Compassion fatigue, burnout. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For me, I've had days where I think there was a week where I think all of my clients were like dealing with something really hard. And I myself was going through something really hard. Um, But you have to completely block and compartmentalize your professional life and your personal life. Mm-hmm. Even having sessions where the client is going through something you're, you're going through as well, mm-hmm. and it's completely carried. And trying wow. to mental. Yeah. Trying to not give them advice, trying to not hear them in a particular. Mm-hmm. So, in some ways, like my therapist, I speak to her about everything going on in my life but also certain times when like sessions get really hard my therapist acts as a supervisor right and it still remains completely confidential because my therapist will never know who my client is I would never identify any any of that identity information yeah a therapist needs a therapist because it's a form of self-care yes and I think to you know wrapping up our episode today, I think this is the perfect segue because today we all live in such a fast-paced world with tremendous amount of information we consume from all the different avenues of everyday work and life and, you know, all of that stuff. So as an expert in your field, what are the five things we all can do and must do every single day for our own mental health? I think accept help when you need it. Mm-hmm. Like be ready to get help yes getting help is is not a sign of weakness Mm -hmm. it is actually a sign of strength Mm -hmm. um i think talking about your mental health talk about it and when people are talking to you about it be empathetic be genuine and i think there's that entire side to it but then also the entire physical health Mm -hmm. your physical health and your mental health go hand in hand take care of yourself eat healthy, work on your sleep routine. I think a big one is learn how to respond instead of reacting. Um, Take a minute to yourself. Everything does not need an answer immediately. Mm. You don't need to react. Nothing is going to happen if you wait 20 minutes or an hour as compared to getting angry in that very second. Mm. You are allowed to take pauses. You are allowed to take a break. And I think that's the thing. People believe that people feel guilty for taking breaks right now. It's such a fast-paced world, as you yes, said. Yes. And I think we need to remove that guilt factor when it mm. comes to self-care. Yeah. 
If you feel exhausted and you can't go out, it's okay to tell someone, I feel exhausted and I just don't have the energy to meet, yeah. but I will catch up with you another day. Yeah. Conversations like that should be normalized. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Note to self. I'm like making mental notes. <laughs> I'm like... That's that's literally what I was doing too, because I yeah. think you said it really nicely and it's kind of hard to do that, but we have to consciously make it possible because saying no to things, the FOMO is such a huge thing these days. You know, we got to like, everybody's accomplishing like five different things at one time. Instagram, social media is driving people nuts mm-hmm. saying like how, you know, they're always showing the part, the side of achieving, but you know, there goes a lot in, in doing that, which is a side that not a lot of people talk about. When I see, you know, Priyanka Chopra was like, you know, do, you know, running between the world, taking her own, you know, creating these waves when I'm seeing all these celebrities doing so many things and you're sitting here and like, what am I doing with my life? And, you know, it's so easy to get lost in that kind of negative mode. Uh, but it's important that even people have achieved those things, right? They have, there's there's a side to them that they don't really talk about much. Yeah. It didn't like take a, just a, you know, a click or an overnight magic miracle that put them in the spotlight. There was a lot of effort and I'm sure they've had these issues as well that we were just talking about. So what you just mentioned is something that's so important. Um, to all of us, including myself, and like Shweta said herself as well. So thank you. Yeah. Those are very great points. Yeah, I think just like as like an ending note, I think just like gratitude. I think in such a fast-paced world, sometimes we forget to just be grateful for the people that we have, the things that we have. We lose perspective, and I think without gratitude, you completely lose perspective. You lose patience, and I think being patient having gratitude and actually understanding that like there are things in your world that are going right be grateful for that be grateful for your support system and talk about the things that are going wrong work on it yeah correct gratitude should be the attitude (laughs) yes yes yeah yeah thank you so much for this amazing insightful chivization we have learned so much and uh, You've left us a lot to think about as well. All the good stuff, you know, mental notes to make and as we go through our busy lives. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Karina. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a great conversation and such a meaningful conversation. And yeah, I hope people enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> so how do people reach you, you know, to connect with you and so to... I have an Instagram page um, which is at care counseling, K A R E counseling with two L's. And then on my page, there's my phone number, my email, or a scheduling page for a phone call. And then we would do our first consultation and follow up with sessions. Um, my email is Purina at carecounseling.com. My phone number is 9973-689973 with a plus 91 at the area code. Wonderful. We'll add it on the show notes. Definitely. Yes. And for everyone, Karina does global consultations and she's available. So, and if you have any questions for us, please reach out to us via social media or our email, chaibreakpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, bye everyone. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Karina. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did. Please let us know what you think. It means the world to us. Yes, and join the conversation on our social media channels where we discuss the many facets of mental health and well-being and share our collective thoughts. If there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, write to us at chibreakpodcast@gmail.com or DM us on our Instagram account.